0: Welcome to the Ag Culture Podcast, where we cultivate tomorrow by inspiring agripreneurs and ag innovators through real-life global perspectives in agriculture. I'm Paul Windemuller, your host on this journey of exploration and growth. Today is a really neat episode. We're talking about the coffee sector. I know there's probably not a lot of people that really know much about it, so I think it'll be very interesting for you. And uh, we're gonna talk on this episode... With Robbie Custer from green coffee company and the legacy group that manages the green coffee company and uh, it's it's more about the production side of things the the coffee industry in general Um, and This interview actually went on uh, for quite a while. So I'm going to make it into a a two-part Episode so this is gonna be one episode the next episode we're gonna have will be focused on the people side of the business and business structure itself so I hope you really enjoy this and um, this deep dive into the coffee business with Robbie Custer. Well, welcome to another episode of Ag Culture Podcast. Today we have a great guest, Robbie Custer from the Green Coffee Company in Medellin, Colombia, and uh, welcome, Rob, Robbie, to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Paul. I'm I'm happy to be here.
0: Looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Coffee is a very interesting subject, and uh, there's a lot to talk about. So let's get into it. Um, Green Coffee Company. Uh, So you're a vice president for Legacy Group, which is actually the management company for Green Coffee Company. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's correct. We we manage Green Coffee Company on behalf of of the investors uh, in the company.
0: All right. So why don't you go a little bit into uh, Green Coffee Companies, um, kind of where they're at right now? I mean, there's uh, been a lot of publicity that's uh, been out there, favorable publicity, which is a good thing to have, right? I've seen you guys in Ah, uh, the Financial Times, Forbes, and uh, I believe uh, Fortune Magazine as well. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Yeah, we've we've had a number of of uh, exciting, you know, press releases and and features um, in uh, in these publications talking about you know the circular economy, how we're sort of changing uh, the coffee industry for the better, um, and and what we're trying to do uh, both for investors and also for the coffee uh, sector at large in Colombia. So. Um, the Financial Times did, did a piece about us uh, related to the circular economy and how we're, we're monetizing parts of the coffee uh, cherry that have not been monetized before. Um, and uh, Forbes also hit on a number of these sustainability themes that are that are both really exciting for coffee drinkers uh, and end and users, uh, but also for for investors in terms of how uh, <clears throat> we are bringing new ideas to an industry that. Hasn't really received investment or um, meaningful uh, a meaningful look uh, in a in a while. So that's that's we, we were really happy to see these pieces uh, released.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Uh, great accolades to have on your um, portfolio there. So, could you go into a little bit um, into how Green Coffee Company is structured and how it got started and and what it's all about?
1: Sure. Uh, so originally, uh, Green Coffee Company, uh, as, it, as it was f- the founding idea from from Cole Shepard, uh, the, the, the founder, was that there were a number of uh, uh, real estate investors in Colombia, uh, American real estate investors uh, who were looking for um, a- additional exposure to agriculture in Colombia. They had already invested in real estate in Colombia uh, and wanted um, uh, exposure to agriculture, specifically coffee. So it originally started out as a consolidation play, where you were looking at uh, combining a few farms, improving the processing facilities, um, and and basically producing uh, specialty coffee for for roasters. What we found as we continued on operating is that there was immense underinvestment in the region, um, in technology, uh, both at the farm level in terms of what you can um, uh, in terms of fertilizer and, and other products uh, and, and varietals that are used on the farms, uh, as well as uh, the machinery that's used to process the coffee, um, vertically integrating all the way up to roasting and selling coffee uh, in developed markets. We saw a, a really significant gap in in um, developing countries uh, there. So what we've realized is, as we've brought in more capital, that there's, an, um, there's a great chance to both improve the sector locally uh, providing formal employment uh, improved agricultural practices that that will will help restore the land to how it was before um, as well as uh, an ability to uh, generate a lot more profitability by by uh, reducing the number of middlemen in the coffee supply chain uh, and getting coffee traceably sustainably sourced directly from the farm all the way to the end cup uh, so that that sort of what this has evolved into, um, <clears throat> and we're you know we've been really excited with the investors that we've had along the way as they've seen uh, our vision change over time and, and target this much larger um, ambition uh, as as we have as we have grown and, and identified new opportunities.
0: That's great. So um, growing up, um, you know, I. Would watch the news as a as a young kid, and you'd see things coming out of Colombia that weren't very favorable, right? So, Absolutely. I, I I thought of Colombia, you know, five, 10 years ago as oh, that's probably not the safest place in the world. Why is uh, why is now the the right time? Uh, why are people investing in Colombia? What's the difference between now and ten or twenty years ago?
1: Sure, I mean, <clears throat> you know, ten or twenty years ago, you had a lot more political and economic instability. You had uh, a lot more. Um, you know, wider scale problems with with uh, drugs that that were and other conflict that was raging throughout South America that made it really difficult to invest in these regions. Um, however, you know, the past probably two decades, you've seen really uh, both in terms of the political landscape, the legislation that's come out to be more business friendly, um, as well as a changing coffee sector. Uh, it made it much more uh, Advantageous to to get into uh, business in in South America. So, a- as an example in the coffee sector, you know the the National Federation of Coffee Growers in the past required that everyone sell their coffee through them, meaning that there was always going to be a cap on the amount of profits that you could make uh, within the country. You could never export directly yourself. You always had to go through this this uh, government group. Um, that. I think about ten to fifteen years ago, they 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 reduced that requirement, making it much easier for for investment and much more uh, you know much more profitable and interesting for for outside investors to look at, at the agriculture sector. Um, a lot of these regions stabilized. Uh, you know the the uh, Colombian government in general really gained complete control over the over a lot of these these territories. You know again ten to twenty years ago, so so things have I would say actually twenty years ago now things have really stabilized in a lot of these regions uh, to the point where um, you know things have been stable, but there haven't been any meaningful investment. So, so there's, there's really a, a, a gap there. Uh, the financial legislation around, around investment and around you know, company rights and shareholder rights have all improved pretty significantly. Um, and so it, it felt like a great opportunity to, to enter uh, at this time when there weren't really large players uh, in a very fragmented space. Uh, where we could, um, you know, bring capital and and have a meaningful impact on, uh, on the sector.
0: All right, and you kind of came on the scene in 2018 yourself, is that right?
1: Yes, I, I was a. It was it was for me it was it was rather serendipitous. You know, I uh, I had graduated undergrad um, you know, from from Davidson in North Carolina with an economics degree, thinking of going into investment banking in New York. Had a bunch of internships. There uh, and I originally was going to teach English as a foreign language for five months in Colombia. It was something I wanted to do before I started my, you know, in quotes, real career. (laughs) Uh, And I decided uh, that instead of doing, you know, I decided to do this first. Um, And so went down, programs kept getting delayed to teach English. So I ended up uh, finding another job. I ran into Cole, uh, the founder of GCC. Uh, actually, in a cafe, someone had knew him and knew I was looking for an opportunity. Um, you know, I my background was more in you know, financial modeling, uh, making investor presentations, that sort of thing. Uh, and so, again, it was rather a coincidence that I got uh, connected with Cole. Uh, and then from there, uh, I I have worn a lot of different hats as the business has grown, from sales and marketing to logistics, building out models for uh, selling coffee at, at good price points. Um, and then more specifically, now focused on on the financial modeling, the investor presentations, talking to investors as they come out and and look at the farms um, and and decide on on investing or not. Um, so so for me, it's been a really interesting journey over the over since two thousand eighteen. I, I actually took a, a two year break and and came back to the U.S. to get my MBA um, with a focus on agriculture. I, I had internships in the, in the wine industry and in, in private equity that that did. Um, sustainable agriculture investments, um, and while I had the chance to, to stay in the U.S., I decided, you know, continuing to work part time for GCC. The amount of growth that I, I continued to see, I, I decided to make the move back to Colombia and and uh, continue this this grand adventure.
0: Wow, that's that's pretty incredible. Going from uh, a career path of investment banking to the jungles of Colombia to <laughs> be on a, a coffee plantation. So that's pretty pretty cool story.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it was uh I, I think that there in Colombia in general, there is there's tons of opportunity. Um and really I, I was just uh, I was interested and excited by the work that that um legacy group was doing uh in general but GCC in particular. Um and so the tangible nature of um you know being able to see the coffee plant and see the value that we're creating. Uh, is way more exciting than sitting behind a desk in New York working for, <laughs> you know, one of the large banks where you feel very removed from the value that you're creating. So uh, for me, um, I did have to learn a lot really quick. You know, I, I, I speak Spanish, and, and so I would spend a lot of time with our agronomists, really understanding the process, understanding what we're doing differently. Um, you know, all of that was, was really important for me uh, to, to both, you know, convey that to investors who may not know that much about coffee, uh, but also to, to to make myself feel good about about everything that we're doing.
0: That's great. Uh, so w- could you walk us through the the coffee industry, the the supply chain, I guess, from uh, production through to the end consumer? I, I know there's probably not a lot of people familiar that listen to this podcast with the coffee industry itself. So could you give us a little bit of background on that?
1: Sure. Uh, yeah, coffee is a very complicated... Product um, way more complicated than than people may realize. So so uh, coffee starts um, in on the coffee tree, which you know its origins come from uh, stone fruit. So it's it's actually origin closely related to like a peach. Um, so so coffee grows in these red cherries. They look like small maraschino cherries. There's two beans per cherry. Um, a tree will be planted and takes probably about two years to start producing. Um, In Colombia, the the harvest happens over, uh, you know, over a number of months. And so beans will ripen at different rates. So in Colombia, unlike in Brazil, and in Vietnam, you actually need hand pickers to go in and pick the beans that are ripe and leave the ones that are still green on the trees so that they can ripen. So you need to send people through the fields a number of times. Um, These farms are also on very steep mountainside. So it's not uh, something that can easily be mechanized, whereas in, in a country like Brazil, where it's very flat, you can send things similar to to what you do with olive trees, where you like whack the tree and get all the all the um, olives off. Um, so so this is a it's a manual process with with uh, our our pickers going out to pick. The the cherry is then brought to the first stage of processing called the wet mill. This is where you pulp the the cherry, which means you you smush the cherry lightly. Uh, and get the two beans out. Uh, the The cherry layer is then moved to a separate uh, area. the The beans uh, are then moved to fermentation tanks first, uh, and then to dryers where they are dried into what is called parchment. Then at that stage, it's it's stable and then it's moved to a dry mill. At the dry mill, that's where this extra this outside layer of that's called parchment is removed. It sort of looks like what you'd think of as like, you know, parchment from Egypt, that sort of thing. Uh, that's removed. Uh, and then the the green beans are sorted by size, by density, and by color. Uh, in the past, this was all done manually, um, you know, by by people on long trays and long lines. It's now done typically with with these uh, three-dimensional sorters and, and other mechanized systems. Um, and sorted into many different quality grades. So you'll have your Folgers that typically sources, you know, lower grade coffee from Brazil, a lot of defects, things that were damaged, things that were overripe, underripe. Uh, And then you'll have your really high end coffee that can be from specialty varietals or just without defects. Uh, Those are your, your higher end coffees that you'll, you'll purchase uh, from, you know, your local roaster. Uh, And so um, that, at that point, that's green coffee. That's what's traded globally. That's, that's the, uh, that's uh, it's the second most traded commodity in the world uh, after oil by weight um, so it's uh it's all of you know it's <laughs> traded around the world uh, your roaster your local roaster or large roaster will will purchase that green coffee and roast it uh, to their specifications they might mix it with coffee from other regions um, and then uh, at that point that's what that's what you uh, you'll receive in bags to to brew yourself or a barista will brew and, and that's what you drink so uh, there are many, many stages. Um, there are many aspects of each different stage um, that have their own complications and their own opportunities. Um, but uh, it's it's uh, yeah that that's the that's a general overview.
0: And uh, the the varieties themselves are really broken into two categories. And I believe you're you guys focus on the what's called uh, Arabica or Arabica. I'm not exactly sure if I'm saying that right, but is that correct? Yeah,
1: they're both they're both fine pronunciations. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. So, and, and, um, Brazil is, they, they grow more of the other type. Is that correct?
1: Yes. They go, they grow, uh, Robusta. So Robusta, um, yeah. Robusta is, a, 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 a you know, those are, that's like the base of the tree. So, you know, you have, you have the base of the tree is Robusta and Arabica, and then there are thousands of varieties of coffee within, within, within those two. Right. Um, so Robusta typically can be grown at lower, lower altitudes. It's a bit more easy to be mechanized. Um, but, uh, the flavor is a lot more bitter. Um, and, uh, it's, it's just not, it's not as nice for, for your specialty coffees. Typically there's, there's been a bit of change in, in, in the industry, uh, about this, especially with climate change. Um, you know, Robusta as the name suggests is a more robust plant, uh, and is a bit more, uh, resilient to, to climate change. Uh, what's, what's grown m- traditionally in Colombia and in Latin America uh, is Arabica. Arabica is, uh, much as a much smoother tasting varietal. Um, it is, it is a bit more sensitive and less productive than, than Robusta. Um, but, uh, that's why you'll typically have, uh, Arabica trade always at a premium above Robusta because of its higher quality. Um, but, you know, we've been looking into, uh, ways in which to do things like grafting with, with Robusta to, to maintain like the root system of a Robusta coffee, of a Robusta tree. But the the production uh, of arabica coffee beans. So there, there's a lot of uh, research uh, going forward to to make sure that these plants a stay above stay above the the pests and the the fungus that affects coffee, uh, but also be uh, you know become more resilient uh, as as the weather warms and uh, lower altitudes are not. Suitable for growing coffee anymore. So it's it's those are sorts of things. Some of the things we've been facing.
0: So and that that's why you guys are really focusing on the higher elevations because that's really where Arabica can grow. Yeah. Not not yeah. A, we we have
1: we have serious mandates not to purchase. You know, the, coffee is grown at a lot of different altitudes and and yep. you'll get different uh, quality levels at different altitudes. Uh, but we we really only purchase uh, farmland that's above fifteen hundred meters or probably you know around that's uh, like five thousand feet. Um, we'll have portions that are below that but uh, we won't grow coffee there you know those those regions are more susceptible to pests and other and other issues um but again you know we're we're spending a lot of money on research and development and innovation in this space um, and so as we find opportunities there might be ways for us to to plant on those lower lower levels but our farms are typically higher than that
0: So um, one thing I want to walk back to a little bit is uh, originally uh, when Green Coffee Company got started, you were talking about it was really just looking at consolidating land holdings and and adding value that way. Uh, But now it's really, in in my view, from what I see from the outside, it's really been focusing more on uh, finding the the, uh, bottlenecks in that supply chain that you talked about and really uh, being able to utilize that scale that you now have. To invest in in infrastructure along the supply chain, you want to talk a little bit more about what you guys are doing in, in that uh, realm of things.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think so. The verticalization of the vertical integration that we're we're trying to do um, is one of the key ways we're we're adding value. I'd I'd say there's there's really three key ways we're adding value. One is the vertical integration and and going all the way to large scale roasted coffee sales. Uh, the second is becoming the largest uh, producer of arabica coffee in. In uh, the world, Uh, and the third is is uh, everything that we're doing with the byproducts from the coffee production uh, that have never been really meaningfully monetized in any in any way. So, so to your point about the vertical integration, you know, as as I laid out earlier, there there are so many steps in the process to grow coffee. Uh, Your typical small farmer uh, will not, you know, they, they will grow the coffee and maybe produce process it one step, but then they will sell it to someone else. Who processes it a bit more, and then really where the bottleneck is is with large uh, importers and exporters. Um, that uh, these these multinational, multi billion dollar companies that that have most of the control uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to selling the coffee worldwide, and that's where a lot of the margin gets hung up in uh, in green coffee. On top of that, roasted coffee uh, is another step of the process uh, that. You know, there's, there's, there's additional margin to be gained there. Um, so what we're trying to do is, you know, given our scale and given our international team uh, and our international relationships that we've established over the years between Colombia and the U.S., uh, we see a real opportunity to connect the dots there uh, and invest in not only infrastructure at the farm level, which would be the wet mill, but also invest in infrastructure uh, the, the dry mill, that can make green coffee, and then to establish good relationships with roasters, uh, with, with uh, large roasters in the US, where we can sell coffee, roasted coffee in the US. You know, what this does is, you know, a big problem that uh, local farmers will face is the commodity price for, for coffee, they have zero control over. Uh, mm-hmm. They're entirely at the whims of, of what, you know, some hedge fund that trades billions of bags of coffee at a time or millions of bags of coffee at a time. You know what? What they think the market's going to do, right? And that's no way to to run a business. It's it's extremely difficult for small farmers. And no matter how much you know these large importers and exporters claim to be doing for the small farmer, there it's really difficult for them to provide any sort of price controls for them. So what we're trying to do when we vertically integrate is both preserve that margin at the produ- at the production level, um, and then also you know provide a level of stability for the farmers who, who we purchase coffee from, you know, 50% of our production, uh, 50% of the coffee that we sell is ours. We also purchase coffee from the farmers around us, you know, we only own these large estates. Uh, but there are, there are farmers, you know, 95% of the coffee that's grown in Colombia is on farms that are smaller than 10 acres. So we'll purchase that coffee and, and by having a full fully controlled supply chain, we can guarantee pricing, that's favorable to farmers much better, we can hedge our positioning um, where we don't have to rely on the green coffee price uh, and what you know, random people think around the world. We can just sell our coffee uh, at, at profitable price points. Uh, you know, This year, for example, the, the price fell by about 50% um, for green coffee. That's nothing that we, we can't control that. So right. our goal is to uh, move out of that space. Um, so one way is through the roasted coffee. Uh, being the largest producer uh, helps us in, in scale and in you know larger clients that we could sell to in the U.S. Whether through uh, you know white labeling or through you know uh, uh, things like gas stations or other places where you know they're just trying to move a lot of coffee for us, we have, with total cost controls we can we can sell at lower price points for roasted coffee and still make a, a lot of money. So for us, you know, even though our quality is very high. Uh, we have we are able to compete with the multinationals in a way that that uh, you know others can't because of our control of all the costs. Um, and then yeah, I'll, I'll wait to discuss the the byproducts. Uh, but, but yeah. So
0: if there's a lot of um, a lot of margin in the import export uh, phase of of the supply chain, have you guys gotten pushback uh, from competitors because they see? The potential that you can bring to the market to stabilize things, or has that been relatively calm?
1: You know, I, I think where we've gotten pushback thus far is, you know, there are the importer and exporter traders, and then there are the national traders within Colombia. We've started to get a bit of pushback with, from the national traders within Colombia because you know all those farmers that we purchase from around us, they used to sell to all these other guys. So, so you know, we provide much better price points for them, and we provide much better uh, sales. Uh, uh, terms sales terms for them, so you know we'll we'll give them cash right away as opposed to uh, promising to pay them ninety days from now, right? So you know we've gotten a bit of uh, pushback from from those <laughs> national players. I will say, <clears throat> you know, international players they still have not. Uh, we're we're still in a lot of ways when it comes to our production a blip uh, on on the on the map. You know, I think as we continue to grow, people, you know, these large. Uh, importers and exporters we sell a lot of our coffee to you know right now that's where our business that's where we get to um i i imagine as we continue to grow as we continue to explore these other um you know the the u.s markets uh it's going to become more of an issue uh but uh for now you know it's been the the large importers and exporters you know they have huge clients that they need to sell to um and we have we have good relationships with them with them thus far
0: all right good to hear what um what technologies have you been employing? I know um, that like you were talking about the wet mill phase is has been kind of a, a historical bottleneck um, in the industry in Colombia at least. Uh, what have you guys been doing on that front? Sure.
1: So so at the wet mill, you know, in Colombia, what has typically what has traditionally been done is farmers will pick all their coffee, which is really hard work during the day on the side of these mountains, and then they will process the coffee themselves um, either manually or if they're a larger farm, they'll use um, one, they'll use a very water intensive process uh, that sends all of the cherries through one specific deep pulper. They'll, they'll ferment their coffee in these, uh, you know, cement tanks. Uh, It takes a very long time. And then they'll dry the coffee out on pads um, for this, for sun drying. They might have a mechanical dryer, but uh, you know a lot of these mechanical dryers, if you don't run them really effectively, they can over-dry the coffee or not dry the coffee sufficiently. Um, so typically, those processes will take about 14 liters of water to produce one kilogram of, uh, of coffee. Hmm. Uh, we have brought that 14 liters down to less than three liters of water per kilogram produced through a bunch of different... Methods, you know, one of the things is is people typically move the coffee through water channels. We do everything with conveyor belts. Um, on top of that, you know, in the past, as I mentioned earlier, green coffee is sorted. Like the, the the unroasted coffee will be sorted at the dry mill. We actually sort the coffee at the wet mill now. We we bought optical okay. sorters to sort the coffee at the wet mill. Um, we also sort the cherries by size uh, and then send the cherries through different. Depulpers, depending on their size, you know, typically if you only have one size depulper, you're going to crush some beans, uh, or you're going to leave them in cherries, uh, and that's going to lower your quality level. So uh, that's one stage. You know, when we ferment the coffee, we use uh, a, a, a series of enzymes that quicken that speed up the process tremendously. Uh, we also use centrifuges to save water and reuse water throughout the throughout our supply chain. Uh, excuse me, throughout throughout the throughout the wet mill process. Uh, and then in the dryers, we uh, use two different types of dryers. Uh, the first to sort of, uh, I, would, I, would talk, I would think of it as like frying in like a frying pan. Those are these vertical dryers, right? To get the outside layer of, of moisture. And then you use tumble dryers, which are lower temperature dryers to, get, to, to really get the, the, the bean consistently at the correct level of humidity. You need it at, at about 11% humidity uh, inside the bean. Um, So that's just what we're doing at the wet mill. Uh, You know, our president, uh, Boris Woolner, he's um, an agro industrial engineer by trade. So he has been really instrumental in in looking at every aspect of the coffee production process, uh, and finding out ways to innovate. So that's just at the wet mill, you know, I could talk about what we're doing at the nursery, and what we're doing to plant the seeds, uh, what our agronomists are doing at the farm, you know, on the farms. um, uh, And then, you know every stage of the process um we've been looking to to generate additional value
0: yeah and and i know you've done a lot with uh looking at uh, i think you brought it up the the byproduct and and me coming from a livestock background um you look at soybean meal or uh distillers grains or gluten feed um some of those byproducts uh in the livestock industry have have Become more valuable than the, than the actual yeah. uh, derivative or yeah the the original crop that it came from. So it's kind of interesting to see that. I think that's been a, a kind of a black mark on the coffee industry is so much waste in the process um, that is just being dumped and and actually is a cost to the farmer and the and through the processing of yeah. of the coffee cherries and and that's one thing that you guys sound like you've been really working hard on to find a solution for. So what, what does that look like today? No, you're,
1: you're 100% correct. You know, we see incredible value in, in, in a product that has typically been viewed as, as, as waste, you know, so, um, as I've mentioned, you know, coffee comes from a cherry The the outer layer, uh, represents about 65% of the total weight of a coffee bean. Um, so, you know, think of the amount that the tonnage of coffee that's moved around the world, double that and add a little bit. And that's the tonnage of coffee cherries that uh, are not being used for anything of value. Um, You know, typically, I I will say typically, you know, farmers who are conscious will, will use it as like a low grade compost. Mm. Um, And there are actors trying to turn it into something, but nothing has been really invested in at scale. Um, So what we have identified uh, is, you know, we worked with uh, two universities who did a, a bunch of studies on, um, you know the different chemical components within cherries, uh, and and really where we see the ability to generate the most value from these cherries is by producing ethanol and then producing uh, different liquors uh, from from the coffee cherry. Uh, this can be there's probably a lot of
0: sugars in those cherries, right? In. Yes,
1: it has. There there are an immense number of sugars. Uh, the cherry itself is high in antioxidants. It has a lot of natural fibers. So you know, in addition to the 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 alcohol business that we're looking to go into. You can also, you know, the amount of material that we're going to have, you can use it in a whole host of different ways. You know, we we got a grant recently for uh, for the production of biogas um, and uh, using the biomass to produce biogas and biochar. That's another area that we're looking at. But yeah, really, where we're where we're focused on what we what we're about to make a huge investment in is is a distillery to turn the coffee cherries into a, into, uh, uh ethanol, uh, which will then be turned into vodka and, and other alcoholic products. Um, so it's, uh, you know, for us, we, we, we see an ability to be very competitive on pricing there as well, because for us, we could just sell the ethanol and that's, and we'd, we'd make a ton of money because for us, that's, that's profitable. That's better than us trying to, um, you know, truck, tons and tons of this coffee cherry off to, to an area to be, to be processed. Right. So, so for us, um, you know, we'll be able to be competitive, either selling ethanol or moving into selling branded products with, with liquor. Um, so, you know, uh, that's a, that's an area of the business. Like you said, um, we see tremendous value there. Uh, we think in some ways that can be more profitable than the cop, you know, maybe, you know, five years down the line, we end up, you know, it's offshooting the coffee as, as, you know, the selling the coffee as, as one aspect of the business and then and then focus more heavily on on the production of these other byproducts. Because uh, for us, it's it's really we've been exploring a lot of possibilities. Um, and and there's there's tremendous opportunity. You know, the the distillery that we're building can only take coffee from one of the farm groups that we have, because the coffee cherry will go bad very quickly. It's one of right. the reasons why there hasn't been investment in this level already. A lot of people ask like, well, why has no one else done this? It ferments really quickly. There's no direct off, there's no direct way to sell it immediately. There have not been many large scale producers, especially in Colombia, that have had time to think about it. You know, if you're processing all the coffee you have, it all comes at once. You have, you're focused, you're, you're focused way more on something that's going to actually generate immediate value for you than you are on this uh, potential thing that's going to maybe work um, way down the line and you have to process it within 24 hours or the, or the product becomes completely useless.
0: Yeah. So that investment needs to happen right. Basically at the farm level in order to make it work. And like you said, the scale really wasn't there until, until you guys came along in Columbia.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you really, you really need to control it from that, from that level. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, you know, uh, we see as of now the, the vodka is the most, uh, profitable, um, uh, Next step, but uh, you know that will only be one of our facilities. Other facilities are, are uh, you know, we've looked into selling the uh, selling the product either as animal feed or as um, uh, uh, you can you can use it as a food ingredient. It's it's a it's this um, it can be used in in like cereal bars and, and other processed foods as a as a coagulant. Um, so so there's there's all sorts of of uh, use cases, and we're just you know we're talking with different providers um, into what makes the most sense.
0: That's great. That's, that's really innovative to, uh, to be working on all those different fronts at once. So
1: we're trying, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been a lot of work. Um, uh, but, but you really, the team has been, has been amazing. And, and, you know, typically during the harvest, we're focused really specifically on producing the the coffee. Um, but this has always been going in the background and it's always, it's been something that's, you know, it's not something that we're just like dropping on, uh, the company right now, this has always been in the back of our minds. You know, like I said, we, we, you know, worked with these, we've worked with these universities for years and and making sure that we're not, you know, going down a rabbit hole, uh, about something that might work. You know, we, we've been, we've been really intentional about, about, uh, these next steps.
0: Um, what you, you had mentioned, uh, you're doing some other things on the, the nursery side of things or at the, starting at the nursery and, and, um, in the field itself. What are those, some of those things that you're doing?
1: Sure. I mean, I, I think the biggest one for us, um, on the nursery side is, uh, if you ever think about, uh, going to a, uh, a, a place to like a nursery in the, in the U S or anywhere else, you'll see a lot of plants that come in plastic bags. Um, the same thing happens at, at, uh, for coffee, the trees, are grown in these in these in these like you know plastic bags that resemble garbage bags. Um, what's the problem with that? Well, the first problem obviously is the amount of plastic that's being used. You know, our we have 13.8 million trees uh, about on our farms. Um, that's 13.8 million plastic bags that are used once and then discarded. On top of that, plastic really restricts root growth, so the roots cannot really grow outside of um, this you know packaging that it's stored in. You need a lot of material, um, the material that most farmers use as well, or most uh, nursery, you know, nurseries are often a separate business. The material they use is not, uh, you know, maximized for for coffee growth or the nutrients inside. Uh, so you'll get, you'll get, coffee trees will go, grow more slowly. Uh, they'll die at higher rates. And then from a labor perspective, it's it's a manual process to fill all these bags. And then when you go out to a farm, if you, you know, if your workers are good, they'll take off the bags before they drop them in the ground. That doesn't always happen, um, but they should take off the bags before they drop them in the ground. Um, but if they're paid, you know, if, if they are workers that are contracted by the farmer and they're paid by the amount of, of trees they put in the ground, they're going to be really, they could be really rough with the tree. So what are we doing instead across that whole, uh, that whole series? The first is is the material that we're using is more of a composite mix of of local soil and then also uh, additional uh, additives that that keep the tree healthy. We're using a uh, a machine uh, with in partnership with a company called Ellipot that uh, uses a biodegradable bag, uh, much less material, uh, and and it sends through this machine, so it's not a manual process of packing each individual bag. Right, you use this machine that, that produces, you know, I, I don't remember how many bags per minute, but a lot. of. I I just
0: saw one of those, um, the interview I did last week, um, with Walter's gardens. Uh, you'll, if you're listening to this today, go back to that episode. They actually just, uh, bought that machine and employed it at theirs. So I I was talking to him about that in the last episode I just did. So that's pretty cool to, to see how it goes from the greenhouse industry into what you're doing in Columbia.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, one thing that we've been trying to do, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel in general, you know, we're trying to bring technologies that are used elsewhere and apply them to the coffee industry, right? So there's, there's, you know, the optical sorters that we're using at the farm level, these are optical sorters that are used for blueberries, right? So no. so they were just adapted for for coffee. So that's been, that's always been a theme for us, right? So so these, these bags, they allow your the roots to penetrate the bag and go grow outside, which is much better for them, they'll grow much more quickly, you know, it, it can take six to nine months in a lot of nurseries, our nursery, which is one of the largest in Colombia, by the way, uh, <laughs> it will grow, you know, we had 2.5 million trees that we were growing last year. Um, th- these, these will grow much quicker, we have um, a lower death rate, uh, or you know, a higher survival rate of, of, the, of the coffee tree. And then when you bring them out to the farms, workers can carry more of them. And then they can, they are not contracted workers, they're our full time employees. So they're not going to be incentivized to damage the trees uh, or, you know, to plant as many as possible in a, in, a, in a unsustainable way. Right. So they'll they'll just. But the benefit of having the ellipot machine is you can just drop the bag in the ground. Uh, yep. No plastic is being used in this entire process. Um, and our trees are, are healthier for it.
0: So and the plant still stays together. So it's not a mess.
1: Yes, exactly. So, yeah, it's not a mess, um, and uh, yeah, I mean that's one thing. The last time, you know, every time I go back to the farms, I learn something new. Um, our head agronomist is really a, a an amazing person, and so one of the things that that we're looking into doing is you can grow a, a legume uh, uh, plant in with the tri- with the coffee tree when it's when it's uh, a baby, and uh, it can b- help block some of the harmful sun, you know, coffee trees, when they're young, they really need a lot of shade. So they're grown under netting, shade but even, even, even that uh, sometimes can be uh, kind of harmful. Uh, even, even that can be not sufficient to, uh, uh, to protect the trees from, from really harsh uh, sun. So these, these additional legumes that are planted alongside the the cherry that don't, uh, the, excuse me, alongside the coffee tree that don't uh, take away nutrients from the coffee tree can help protect uh, the, the small sapling as it's growing, um, in that early, more, uh, you know, more susceptible stages. So again, you know, that, that's, that's, that's some of the stuff we're doing at the farm level itself. Um, I would say, you know, one thing I, I, I've, I heard the last time I was, uh, you know, we went out to the farms is uh, a lot of farmers will only fertilize twice a year, and they'll put a lot of fertilizer on those two times a year. What happens when when farmers do that is if there's a huge rainstorm the day after they put on the fertilizer, it's all going to run off and it's it's going to go into local water water streams and it can be really damaging. Um, we fertilize across a series of uh, timeframes throughout the year, and we only put the fertilizer on that the specific plants and the specific lots need. Uh, so we have you know we do soil studies across all of our um, across all of our farmland. So we're minimizing the amount of fertilizer that we're using. Um, you know, this is typically what's put under the umbrella of regenerative agriculture, right? You, you take much better data measurements, you minimize the amount of inputs you put onto your farm, onto your farmland. Um, and in doing so you, you help keep the farm healthier, you lower your costs, um, and you can make your, your trees more productive, uh, in the long run. So we found that, you know, tree, you know, uh, the the point where we really started scaling up in twenty twenty, uh, we planted a bunch of our uh, a bunch of these trees with these improved farm management practices. Uh, there, these farms are now starting to produce, um, and you know the the difference between these farms that uh, we planted back in twenty twenty uh, and you know what we've seen from the farms that we've just acquired is tremendous, right? So it's we're really looking forward to. Uh, this business as it keeps growing. I mean, it, this is a long-term company, right? This is not right. uh, just like
0: anything in agriculture. You got like to look at in long-term, right?
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, we, we're really looking forward to all of the, all of the changes we've been implementing and, and seeing them, you know, no pun intended, seeing them grow <laughs> and, and uh, <laughs> generate value for, for our workers, for the business and for our investors.
0: Yeah. I hope you really got a lot out of this episode with Robbie Custer and the uh, Green Coffee Company, and the coffee industry in general. If you found inspiration and learned something new or simply enjoyed the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on social media, share your thoughts, and as always, please like and subscribe to our channels on whatever podcast platform you enjoy listening to, and we will see you on the next episode of Ag Culture Podcast. Thank you.